All right, good morning. Um, uh, I'm going to open us in a prayer um, in just a moment. Um, but I really want you to consider this this morning. This last couple of years, we've been challenged by multiple people on the subject of prayer and what it is, to, what it is that we're doing when we come before God. And um, he's really, I feel like God's really challenged me in that and that it doesn't matter whether I say amen or not, you don't dismiss God. Um, he's still there. You're still in his presence. And it's as though life is a continual prayer before this God. And so this morning, um, um, there is so much on my heart, both private. And uh, this is a special morning for us because it's a, it's a send-off for some people that are very sacred and very special to me to Mexico City. And so I want to just lift this time up in, in prayer. Let's come before our, our Father. Uh, my God, I just... Um, I ask that uh, this that you will not seem distant because you're not distant. I pray, Father, that you would bless us and keep us, that you would make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us, that you would turn your face toward us and give us peace. I don't lift us up before you as a body, but um, as your children, as sons, as daughters, as individuals, I pray, Father, that those that need to hear your voice and feel your touch will recognize that you um, call us sons and you call us daughters and you love us. I thank you so much for the power that is in you. And I thank you so much for loving us so much and meeting us in our time of need. It's in the name of Christ to come before you. Amen. I'm going to be in Luke 8. I'm going to begin in verse 40 um, here in just a moment. Um, I don't know how many of you are comfortable in a crowd, but I hate crowds. And most of you probably really hate crowds. Melinda knows that I I start going nuts if I'm in a crowd. I, I get anxious. I start getting angry. I, it's very hard for me to be in a crowd. I shared this story once uh, last year, but it was one of the neatest examples that, you know, God, I I feel like, has given me of him. But one time, uh, a speaker that I really looked up to uh, was coming to speak in Abilene. And I was living in Austin, and just because I knew he was speaking there, I got in the car and drove out there, all the way there, just for one talk, just so I could listen to him. And, and people are crowding him. You know, he's, he was famous. He was popular. And so everybody is pushing up against him. And they're all big name speakers and authors and writers and professors in universities. And I'm Jeff. And I'm not like that. And, and, and I wanted just to, to shake his hand. And I wanted to say thank you because of the way you've impacted my life. I just wanted to say, you have no idea what your words have done for me, what your example has done for me. All I wanted to do was say thank you. And I got there, and there's this massive room, and it's there's tables, and there's this big banquet, and I don't know, there's like hundreds of tables in this room, and it's it's like fine dining, and then there's this lectern in the front, and he's about to give a, spe- a, a, a speech. And I came in the room, and I was like, this is probably going to be my only opportunity um, because afterwards, everyone's just going to be flooding him and they're going to be surrounding him. And so while he was eating, I came over to his table and, and I said, um, it's Jim McWiggin, by the way, who I'm talking about. He's like, I came to his table and I said, uh, I just I want to thank you. And he called me by name and he recognized me. 
And I was like, he just used my name. I'm done. You know, I am so done. No, it gets better. He says, have you eaten yet? And I said, no. And he goes, would you like my sandwich? And I said, I'm going to go take it home and like put it in a box. No, but, uh, and then he said, I have an open seat at my table. Would you like to sit with me? You know, and I was thinking, what an illustration of God. You know, you seem so distant. You seem so far off. You seem like there's, there's billions of people that call out to you. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I want to share with you the lyrics of this song uh, that's just been on my heart this morning by Casting Crowns. It's called, Who Am I? Um, it, yeah, all right. And, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to read part of this song. Listen to this. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth should care to know my name? Should care, should care to feel my hurt. Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever wondering heart? Who am I that the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love and watch me rise again? Who am I that the voice that calmed the sea would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me? Not because of who I am but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. This scene in Luke 8 opens the way a number of scenes through the book of Luke open with a crowd. And I didn't realize until this week that the crowd plays a major role through the book of Luke. The crowd is part of the theme. It's the crowd that kept Zacchaeus from approaching Christ, but his eyes recognized the desperation. He saw him. The blind man calling out, even though there's this crowd, it says Jesus heard him. This woman comes up in just a moment, is going to come up, and he felt the touch of desperation. Even through the crowd, he recognized these people. And it seems that Luke is trying to, to show us this is a God who hears us, who sees us, who feels us, who knows us, who recognizes us. It's so powerful when you're looking at it through that lens. And so I just want you to picture this crowd. If Jesus were to come here this morning, if he, he were just to come into our assembly and we're talking God in the flesh, Jesus, and he comes to church, can you imagine what services look like when we dismiss? We are going to be punching each other to get to him, right? Um, we're going to be elbowing. We're going to be doing everything we can. And not many of us are going to want to wait our turn. This is, this is Jesus. And that is just a small congregation of people. Can you imagine from town to town, village to village, city to city, thousands of people? You know what language it uses in this verse? It says they were pressing against him. The Greek means they were crushing him. It's a word that they only used with crushing grapes. The crowd is crushing him. And he's, he's pressing and everybody wants to talk to him. And all of a sudden we're introduced with this man, Jairus. Now, Jairus is a synagogue ruler, and so far in the book of Luke, Jesus has not had a lot of success in the synagogues. He's had success de- dealing with centurions, with legion, we talked about last week, with the outcast, with those that are out there. But when he's in the synagogue, the synagogue rulers, they said, I cannot believe you just healed somebody on a Sabbath. I can't believe you just did this for this person because today is the Sabbath day. Now, the synagogue ruler is brought to his knees. 
in front of Christ, he's brought to his knees. Why? His daughter. This is now his daughter. We're not debating theology anymore. We're not up here. We're talking about my daughter. And some of you parents, I want you to feel the heart of, of this situation. This is my daughter. And so a synagogue ruler is brought to his knees in front of Christ. Now, why does he get to approach Christ? Keep in mind, you've got a crowd. They're pressing him. They're crushing him. Thousands of people, right? But the synagogue ruler is somebody. And so he approaches Christ, and I just picture the people moving out of the way. Why? Because he's Jairus. He's the synagogue ruler. He comes before him, and everybody stops. Look, Jairus has come. He's on his knees, a prominent man before Christ. So this is the picture we have. We have a man, and we have a woman. He's prominent. He's recognized. She's unclean. She's rejected. He stands before him. She stands behind him. Let me tell you what. A lot of people have looked at Luke 8 and said, it's so strange that one story is interjected in in another story. Why do they have the sandwich? Because it's juxtaposing the two. We have a contrast that's being developed here. An unclean woman, a prominent man. She's behind. He's in front. She just wants to touch the hem of his garment. I don't even need you to recognize me. Can I just brush up against you real quick? He says, come into my home. I'm Jairus. This is, this is the difference between these two individuals. So let's read in the text. Oh, and it's also super interesting. One has going, gone through suffering for 12 years. The condition is embarrassing. It's shameful. It's difficult to talk about. A bleeding He's had a daughter, the prize of his life, for 12 years also. And she is now dying. Um, so let's go ahead and pick up in the text. I'm going to get to that picture in a second. This is um, Luke chapter 8. I'm going to begin in um, verse 40. I'm going to pick up there again. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. For they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. No one could heal her. Mark's account says this, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Um, Now in Deuteronomy and Leviticus um, and Numbers, specifically Numbers 15, um, Leviticus 15, 19 through 27, we're told that when a woman is in her impurity, when she's bleeding, anything she touches becomes unclean. So she shouldn't even be here. She's embarrassed. She's shamed. She's been used to being rejected and outcast for at least 12 years. And she comes up and in boldness, she approaches Christ and touches him. And instead of her making him unclean, he makes her clean. And in the story, this is what's so amazing to me. She wanted to go unnoticed. She just wanted to brush up against him. That's it. Touch the edge of the hem of his garment. On the hem of their garments, and I I had to choose whether to focus on this or not, so I'm just going to touch on this. On the hem of their garments, on what are called the wings, the fringes of of the garments in Jewish society, they wear this, these, they're called tzitzit. 
and there's, they have five knots representing the Torah, representing the law, would hang from the edges of their garments. So when this woman goes up to touch the hem, the fringe, the wing of his garment, she's grabbing hold of, how about this, what represents his law. She's grabbing hold of the very thing that represents the teaching of God. It's a whole deep subject right there. But it's really amazing that that is probably what she's grabbing when this happens. She reaches out and through the crowd is immediately healed. And this is what the text says next. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed. Now this woman who was just going to be behind him, just brush up against him, just grab the hem of his garment. Now she has become the center of attention of an entire crowd. Came trembling and fell at his feet. This is after Jesus. I'm sorry, I I can't miss these verses. It says this, Jesus said, who touched me? And of course, Peter says, everyone's touching you. Everyone's pressing in against you. Everybody's crushing you. But then it says this, in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, how about this? Daughter. He calls her daughter. Now we are in the context of Jairus who is desperate for his daughter. And in the middle of this, Jesus addresses this woman that thinks she's not worthy to even be acknowledged by Christ. That she's not worthy of the conversation. She's not worthy of any of this. And he turns his gaze towards her. The crowd's attention is on her. And he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Man, that, that wrecked me when I saw that. And I thought, how many people in here have gone through what I feel like I've experienced in my life? And you feel like, I'm just one among countless people. How will God recognize me? I'm just, I, just, I just want to sing to you. I don't, I, I don't expect to have a place close to your throne. I just want to be in your kingdom. I just want to be able to praise you. And he turns to you and he says, my son, my daughter, I'm bringing you into my, my home. I'm bringing you into a part of my close-knit family. Verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. For this woman, it's been 12 long years. Give up. No one has been able to heal you. Give up. Crowds are of people that are more important than you stand between you and him. Give up. You're unclean, and by law, you shouldn't even approach him. Give up. Now Jairus, who is the important man, somebody who is prominent, all of a sudden is brought to his knees in the same way. She's already dead. Give up. Don't bother the teacher anymore. I wonder if you've come to a point, you've been there in your life where I've been praying and praying and praying and I've been laboring and I've been giving myself to this. Give up. It's not working. It's over. 
I have an addiction that will not go away. It's part of who I am. It's a sickness. I can't be healed. Give up. God doesn't recognize me. He doesn't know my name. Just give up. And Jesus now turns his gaze towards Jairus. It says this. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in except Peter, John, James, the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, uh, but she's asleep. Um, and he raises this girl. She comes to life, and I believe this. The point of the story, when we're looking at the close of, of Luke chapter 8, is Jesus knows your name. He feels your touch. He recognizes the touch of desperation. Most of the sicknesses that are in this room right now, or they can hear my voice, most of the sicknesses and diseases we bring before Christ are incredibly, intensely private. There is pain and addiction and sickness in our lives that we don't, many of us don't talk to anyone about. Difficulties in our families, difficulties in our minds, difficulties in ourselves, and we feel ashamed and we feel beaten and we feel rejected. Through the book of Luke, Jesus wants to reveal one major thing. I know your name. I love you. I call you my daughter. I call you my son. I recognize your touch. I see you in that tree. I hear your voice. I hear you. I see you. I recognize you. I am a God of grace. I want, I want to be there for you. Hebrews 4.16 um, says this. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. Um, in just a moment, I'm going to offer up a group of aimers in prayer that are going to Mexico City. Mexico City and the surrounding area, I learned in class this morning, 22 million people. They have so many people that the city of Fort Collins could be there or not be there and nobody would know the difference. 22 million people, 200,000. In this city, I wonder if there's anybody in that city that thinks, I am just a number, I am just a statistic, I am just a name, I will live and I will die, I am nobody. And needs to hear that they're significant. And needs to hear that they have worth. Here it needs to hear that God created them specifically, individually, because of his love and caused them his daughter and caused them his son. I know somebody in this room needs to hear that. I know I needed to hear that. So in just a moment, we're going to close out with a song and with a special prayer over this team that's going to be going to Mexico City. But I want you to carry this message with you this morning. Um, when you go and you're praying at night and you're coming up before God and you're thinking, I've been praying, I've been lifting this before you for so long. There's countless religions. There's countless people who are, you know, will tell you. There's countless translations of the Bible. There's countless churches. There's all of this stuff. How can I draw near to God? 
How can I approach him? There's too much in the way. Relationship with God is fun to sing about. But is it actually possible to have that? And the priestly blessing means so much to me. How about this? When he says, the Lord bless you and keep you, may he be gracious to you and cause his face to shine upon you. And then he says this, may he turn his face towards you. May he feel your touch. My prayer, and I'm going to go ahead and ask um, 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 our Amers, Luke, Sydney, and Jamie, and Michael is, is, uh, is not with us today, but we're going to be lifting him up in prayer. If you guys don't mind just joining me out here in the middle real quick. And the rest of y'all, if y'all stand up real quick, we're going to just kind of surround them and lift them up in prayer. But really, um, we've been praying. We already had a prayer for them this morning, specifically through them. I want to lift up Mexico City. I want to lift up um, what God and His Spirit is going to be doing through you guys uh, this morning. Um, before we do that, let's, uh, I'm going to have David lead us in one more song, and then we'll close out in a prayer.